we've been in a series called When He Returns. And we've been talking about end times. We've been talking about future history. And, 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 and so if you're new, this is what we've been talking about. And today is our last of the series. We're going to kind of wrap this, wrap this up today. And we're talking about what this looks like in the future history, which is interesting because we can talk about the past. You know, and uh, we can talk about what happened based on what happened in the past. It's very unusual to talk about something we don't even, you know, something about the future. But we believe in the Bible. We believe in the Bible to be the inspired word of God from, from Genesis to Revelation. And it talks about future history, things to come. And, and, and in this series, there may be some things that, who knows, I may have been a little off on. I, I've heard preachers preach on end times, and I'll be like, you know, I agree. Maybe I disagree on their interpretations of, of future events. And um, in, in fact, there's, you know, even on our staff, we have different opinions about the timeline. And, and, uh, and, it, and, and it's, it's all good because we're, we say, hey, you know, we, we can all still love each other. We can still get along, and we, we can still move forward. No one's getting fired uh, for my staff, I know one of my staff, David, he was a little sweating it, you know, sweating it. This guy, I got some different ideas here. And said, you know what, and, and it's awesome because you know what, he may be right. I may be right. We may, in fact, we may both be wrong on how it unfolds. But here's one thing for sure, that me and Dave and the rest of our staff and other pastors and preachers that preach on future things to come, one thing is for sure, we can say without a doubt, that Jesus, he's coming back. He's coming back. And, and, and so today, we're going to kind of wrap this up. Now, last week, I kind of got started looking into the book of Revelation. And, 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 and so it's kind of doing a flyover, you know, to kind of highlight some things. And, uh, and, and I'm not going verse by verse. I'm not picking apart everything because then that would be two years. So I'm trying to do it all in two weeks. And so I've studied it last week. We're going to kind of wrap it up today. And I want to help you to understand Revelation. I want to help you so when you read Revelation, you, you have an idea, a direction, a mindset, so to speak, so that you can understand how to read it. In fact, you know, a lot of people, they, 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 when it comes to the book of Revelation, they, they, they're scared. You know, they kind of freak out about it. You know, they don't want to read it because it's overwhelming. I, I've heard some people say, I don't read it because it's confusing. And, and, and here's what I want to say. We said it first last week. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 3, John the apostle, he said there, you know, uh, he was in, a, in verse number 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart on what's written in it, because the time is near. You see, my friend, we're not supposed to be afraid to read Revelation. In fact, we're to be encouraged. We're to be blessed when we read it. And we said here last week, and if you're taking note, that the theme of Revelation, the theme of Revelation is that Jesus is in control. He is in control of all things. He's in control of yesterday. He's in control of today. And he will be in control tomorrow. And, uh, and the world looks like it's out of control. 
but we're reminded that Jesus is absolutely in control. And if you can have that mindset, when we read the book of Revelation, it will help you to understand what Revelation is all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so last week, we kind of looked at, we broke up Revelation into five sections. And, and, and so we look at section one and section two last week. Today I want to do section three, four, and five as we kind of wrap this up. And I'm going to encourage you to read the book of Revelation. And as you read Revelation chapter one, two, and three, this is what we saw last week in section one. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. That's what you should see. Jesus is in control. Then we said that when you read chapter 4 and 5, you'll start noticing that Jesus is the spotless, precious Lamb of God. He's the precious Lamb of God. And, and so we read that, and he is worthy to open the scroll. There was the scroll. You see chapter 4 and 5. There was the scroll, and, and, and only Jesus is worthy to open the scroll, to read aloud things that are to come. And so today, as we get into the third section, and let me just say as we get into the third section, it, it gets a little crazy. Uh, it, gets a little, it gets a little wild here. Chapter 6 to 18. Now, if you're wondering, now where is the stuff about the mark of the beast? And 666. You find that in chapter 6 through 18. You know, if you like the, the show, you know, there's a popular show right now. My son, I think he likes it. It's called Stranger Things. You know, how many of you are fans of the Stranger Things? Okay, all right. This, this is where it, you start seeing some strange things that are to come, all right, in chapter 6 through 18. If you want to, you know, if you're looking for a little, you know, if you want to freak out a little right before you go to bed, Read something, read something from these chapters, and you'll have crazy dreams all night. I promise, all right? So who is Jesus, though? In light of all the chaos in chapters 6 through 18, who is Jesus that we see? And if you're taking note, we see that Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the righteous judge. And the main theme is that Jesus righteously Judge the earth. Now, if you ever watch TV shows or you follow maybe someone on prophecies, and there's a couple I follow, you know, and, and they're always kind of highlighting certain things that are going on today, they're most likely, most likely they're going to make a reference to what's happening today. They might make a reference to what's going on in Revelation chapter 6 to 18 or the book of Daniel. Now, you know, the book of Daniel is in the Old Testament. You know the story, Daniel and the lion's den and all those great stories, you know, the awesome Sunday school stories you grew up listening to. But there is a second half of Daniel that you don't really hear much about, and it's about prophecies, future events, and times. And, and, and so a lot of times you might see someone on prophecy making a point, making a reference to uh, either Revelation chapter 6 to 18 or the book of Daniel. And if you're interested in that kind of stuff, here, here are some thoughts, bonus thoughts. I mean, see some of these thoughts on your notes. Um, I believe that these chapters um, 
they covered a seven year of tribulation. And now some might believe well, we're in the tribulation right now and we kind of see some of this already. So however you look at it, you know, but these chapters cover the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 11, verse one and two, we see the temple in Israel being rebuilt. In chapter 13, verse 1, 14, 15, and 16, if you're interested in the Antichrist, this is, he, he is introduced in that chapter. The Antichrist is also known as the beast. In fact, the word Antichrist is not found. That word is not found in the scripture. We don't see that in the, in the word of God, but you will find uh, the word beast. It's the same thing, the word beast. And, and if you read it carefully in Revelation chapter 13, and uh, you'll see that a, a woman gave birth to a beast, or he's going to give birth to a beast. And, and some of you ladies are like, yeah, I've done that two or three times. <laughs> I know how that feels. <laughs> it's not that kind of a beast, okay? And again, this is a person, this is an antichrist, evil, evil incarnate right here. And you're going to see in Revelation chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, that the antichrist, this beast, will get killed, and then he can raise the life, and he can become this, this false messiah, and people are going to fall to his knees to this person. They're going to follow him. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 and 13, you'll read about the two witnesses, the two witnesses, a lot of speculations about who these two witnesses are. Some believe they were Old Testament prophets, and, uh, and, but you'll see these two witnesses that God appoints uh, to perform miracles and preach. And, and they're, they're going to do it all right there in the middle of Jerusalem. And, and, and they will be killed. And they will also be raised to life. And, and these, guys, these guys are like cocky. I mean, I mean you're, you're going to be, you know, everyone could be kind of watching them. Now, when I heard that 20, 30 years ago, that all the eyes, the Bible said that all the eyes of the world will be fixated on these two witnesses. I thought, how is that possible? Well, nowadays, you know, everyone got one of these, right? You know, FaceTime Live or, or, or Facebook Live or whatever they want to do, they, they are, they are going to capture what's happening with these two witnesses. And anyone that comes in to try to kill them, these, these witnesses will kill them on the spot. I mean, they're going to be like the untouchables, all right? And, and no one's going to be able to touch them. And, 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 and they're going to be able to cause uh, uh, plagues, They'll be able to shut up the heavens, you know, no rain. It could be a famine. Uh, there could be all these things. And uh, eventually, um, the Antichrist will come after them and kill them. And, and so, Revelation chapter 17, verse 12 and 13, um, even in Daniel chapter 7, uh, many will talk about the Antichrist uh, as being raised up to assassinate world leaders. And then he's going to move to a one-world government. And in Revelation chapter 16, it shows us that the Antichrist is defeated at the last great battle of mankind, the battle of Armageddon. And so, listen, as you read through, you know, these chapters, uh, remember that Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the righteous judge. Let me show you three judgments. That we'll see here. We'll see the seal judgments. The seal judgments. That's where you read about the four writers of the apocalypse. You'll see the moon turn to blood red. You'll see blood shed from war 
and about a quarter of the world's population would die from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. Then there's another type of judgment called the trumpet judgments. You'll see hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky. You'll see poisonous locusts. Now listen, that freaked me out just a little bit. I, I, I'm not a fan. When I live in Florida, we had cockroaches. I, and and they, they just, they just tough, they just got the tough shell, and, and then when you step on it to kill it, you know, there's the crunch. And uh, not only do you feel the crunch, but this deaf guy can hear the crunch. All right, that's a loud crunch if, if I'm hearing it, all right? And you should kind of step on it. And, uh, and then you step on it really good because one step doesn't mean that he's dead because they've they got this second life to the thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's just weird. And, and so locust, to me, it's even worse than a cockroach. I mean, these guys, locusts, can, can, they, they're more mobile. And the Bible said that there can be poisonous locusts. Poisonous locusts. I don't know about you, but that's just weird. That just freaks me out a little bit, all right? A third of the vegetations in the trumpet judgment will be destroyed, a third of the water contaminated, a third of the sea creatures dies, a, a third of the light of the sun will be lost, a third of the world dies. This is a bad, bad time. Now remember, all during this time, God still gives people the chance to repent of their sins. The door for salvation is still open. There's still grace, even in the middle of these judgments. There's the third type of judgment called the bold judgments, all found in these chapters, chapters 6 through 18. And the bold judgment was the sores. Sores will appear on those who took the mark of the beast. Water turns into blood and everything in it dies. The sun scorches people. Devastating earthquake hit. 100-pound hail falls from the sky. Now, if you're like, listening to all this, it says, God, I mean, I don't like this. God, it just sounds unfair. I mean, I thought we had a loving God. And you are right. We do have a loving God who also serve a holy God. And you might just think, man, that still sounds unfair. Listen, I want you to think about this. And it's very important that we think through this. But let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you know someone or you know about someone who did something wrong, did something horrible, and got away with it? Got away with it. They weren't punished. There were, there were no penalty. No reconciliation. They did something bad, and they didn't have to pay. And whenever that happened, whenever we see someone that got away from it, got away, or got away with it, you know what we say? We say, that's not fair. That's not fair because we know inside of us, we know that wrongdoing should be punished. My kids know this. My kids know if they do something wrong, they're the punishment. Even if I do something wrong, they think they should be, they think there should be a punishment. They say, oh, daddy, wait till we tell mama. I said, don't you tell mama. <laughs> mama don't need to know. 
And I, and I got, I got Nathan, you know, he, you know, he'll see on his lip, but little Abigail, you know, it, it, she got to find a way to tell mama, you know, and, 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 and because they know, even my kids know, you do something wrong, there's a punishment. And this is the time in history where God says, I am now through my son Jesus judging the world for sinfulness. And it's almost if God, it's almost if God knew that we might be skeptical, that we might say, man, this doesn't sound fair. This sounds harsh. An angel affirms it for John. Look at John chapter six, look at Revelation chapter 16, verse 5. And John said, I heard the angel in charge of the waters. He said, Jesus, the righteous judge. He said, you are just. In other words, you are fair in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have, so judge. And when you read chapter 6 through 18, I hope that you see that Jesus is the righteous judge. Now let's look at the next section, section number 4. And as you read chapter 19 and 20, I hope that you see that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is King of kings. If you want to take note on this, the main Subtitle, the main theme of this is that Jesus returns with his church. Jesus returns with his church. Look at chapter 19, if you will, in verse number 11. John said this, and he had a vision. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now remember John, in John chapter 1, first one, the, the Gospel of John. Uh, John said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, was with God. And the Word was God. And then John chapter 1, verse 14, a few verses later, he says that the Word became flesh, Jesus, and he dwelt among us. The word of God, the written word of God, is the living word of God. It's Jesus. Jesus is the living word. And so he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. It's a reference to Jesus, the who he is. And the armies, in verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a shout, Sword, again, this is, the, this is the picture of the word of God, the word of God coming out of his mouth, which, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe 
on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has the name written on him, King of Kings and Lord, Lord of Lords. He is not coming to be elected in or out of office. He comes over, he comes in and takes over the world. And this is, I believe, it right here at the end. You know, when he comes in a, in a thousand years of peaceful reign on earth, part of the future history that I believe, that as best as I can interpret, is that he will reign for a thousand years and all those in Christ will be with him and will rule with him. And this will be the, the golden age. This will be the golden age on, on our on here on earth. And it could be here. It's not going to be a democracy. It won't be a monarchy. It'll be a theocracy. The rule of God to the like of what we've never seen in our history before. And so, when you read Revelation, you see who Jesus is. He is Alpha and Omega. Lamb of God. He is the righteous judge. King of kings. Lord of lords. We come to the final section, chapters 21 and 22. It's the last two chapters of the book when we see Jesus as the bridegroom. The bridegroom. You see, we're the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus takes the church, his bride, to the heavenly city. How you become a part of the church? Well, I, that's not a membership class. That's not signing up and saying, well, hey, I joined a church called Lake Point Church. No, that's not what this means. It means all those who've asked Jesus to come to their life, you belong to what we call the capital C church. It's the local church. Well, a local church, but it's not a reference to the local church. The capital C church. And we, Jesus, will take the church, his bride, to the heavenly city. Now, what does that mean? Uh, in John chapter 14, there's a very interesting um, insight to this that Jesus gave one of his last times with the disciples. He's hanging out before, he's arrested, you know, before he would be crucified. And in John chapter 14, in verses 1, he tells the disciples, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Then he said this, it's very interesting what he says here. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I want to stop here for a minute. In, in the King James translation, it's the word mansion. I grew up thinking, well, one day Jesus got a mansion prepared for me, and a mansion in my mind is what I see, you know, you know, when you start going out to like different parts of Washington Township or maybe Broomfield Hill, you know, and you got a nice, you know, gated fence and, you know, and no one bothers me and, and I got my nice big swimming pool in the back, you know. That's my idea of a mansion. I need to understand that that's not what that is. You see, I want to pause it for a minute here because this is so important. What Jesus does, it begins to describe a Jewish wedding. 
They understood it. The readers of this time would understand it, what Jesus was doing here. But when a person, when two couples in this, in this time period, you know, wanted to get married, they go through a betrothal period. There's actually a separate, you know, uh, ceremony. And, you know, where we might think, well, that's engagement. This was a lot deeper. This was, this was more intense. And then we have a betrothal-type ceremony. And then the, 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 the future husband or the future groom, he said, hey, I, I got to go prepare a mansion for you. You know, now that, now that you're set to get married, I'm going to be away. I'm going to go away for a little bit. And, and, and the time period was usually around a year. All right, so you got engaged, and then you didn't see him for a year because he went back to his father's house to add an, an addition to the family house. And that was called a mansion. And they said, well, that doesn't sound like a mansion that I know about. You know, it's a little bit different. It's not. But they would add to the father's house, to his father's house. And, and, and he would build the house. He would, you know, he would do the work. And however long it took him, I mean, if he would, you know, a go-getter, he'd get it done really quick. You know, but it usually took about a year. Meanwhile, the bride-to-be had to wait. Had to wait patiently. Didn't know when he was going to show up. But when the house was finally complete, that mansion was complete, he said, my work is done. I'm ready to go receive my bride. I'm ready to go get her. And so he would come to wherever she was staying. She would usually stay at her, her parents' house. And, and he would show up unannounced. It wasn't, hey, say, hey, I'm on my way. I'll see you in a few minutes. It would come unannounced with his party, with the groomsmen, so to speak. And someone would have a trumpet. Someone make it loud and clear. Hey, your, your groom is finally here and is ready to marry you. The mansion has been prepared. And, 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 and so she would come out. And they would, listen, they would party like, like there was no tomorrow. In fact, they would have a wedding party for seven days. Can you imagine that? planning a wedding feast, you know, for seven days, a reception for seven days. I mean, some of you do it, you know, like eight hours, you know, and uh, you, you do it till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you know. But uh, these seven days, and then after seven days of festival and, and celebration, of, you know, and having you know, that second ceremony, then at the end of seven days, they would consummate the marriage. They would go in, and, and actually everyone would be kind of standing out the door and just kind of waiting it to happen, and that's uh, kind of weird, you know, um, but, and, then, and then we'll come out and, and say, hey, the marriage had been consummated, you know, we two became one, and, 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 and that happened. So understand, this is what Jesus is doing. Look at the imagery. Go back to Revel, uh, John chapter 14, verse number two. It said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going in to prepare a place for you? He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, then I will come back. When I'm done, when I'm ready, when I come back, I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus kind of unfolded this. Listen, guys, I'm going to be gone. I'm coming back. 
I'm coming back. Old Thomas, you know, he, he asked the question in verse number five, um, uh, verse number four, he said, uh, well, uh, yeah, verse number five, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we find our way? How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus describes himself as the bride. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Jesus describes, I'm sorry, Jesus describes himself as the bridegroom. He says, I'm coming back for the bride, the church. Look, look, look at Revelation chapter 21. One of the seven angels, verse number nine, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plague came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, that's us, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, show me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And this is the new heaven, new earth. We talk about this week number two. The new heaven, new earth. Jesus, the bridegroom, come back for us. The bride takes us to the new heaven and the new earth. No crying, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more death, no more sickness. It's awesome. In fact, this new heaven and new earth doesn't even have a, doesn't need a sun or a moon. No sun or moon are needed in the new heaven and new earth. Why? Look at verse number 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And a lamp is its lamp. And a lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the bridegroom returning for us. The bride. The bride. So I know last week we talked about so many Christians living in defeat. We, we, may I remind you that we're on the winning side. That, you know, we, we see Christians you know, fighting each other. We see Christians arguing with each other, tearing each other down. In fact, some of you do it to yourself anyway. You're living in defeat when you and I should be living in victory because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to win. In fact, he already won 2,000 years ago on the cross. And we have victory in Christ. Even though it doesn't look like it, he's coming back. He's coming back. Let me show you the last few verses of Revelation. Verse number 17, the spirit and the bride said, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The spirit and the bride, you know what it's telling us? It's telling us, come on. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Let me give you living water. Who's the living water? But that's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the living water. And if you taste of me, you'll never thirst again. And there are some of you here today, you're spiritually dry. You're parched, thirsty. In fact, you've been trying to drink from this well and from that well and, and, and it's satisfied for, for a short little time period, but then you get thirsty again. And Jesus said, I am the ultimate water, the ultimate well, 
drink of me. I am the living water. Drink of me, and you will be satisfied. Come. And maybe for someone here today, you don't know Jesus. You've been trying to drink from the all different sources of life here. And today, today, we need to drink of the living water, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's this anticipation. We can't wait. We can't wait. You know, next Sunday, we're going to have our communion. We're going to take time for communion. You know what communion does for us? We see this in the, in the early church. They, they eat of this. They drink of this till he comes again. With an anticipation, he's coming back. He's coming back. And in the very last verse of Revelation, we see the gospel one more time. He said, the grace. What a grace. A grace that God's given us what we don't deserve, that unmerited favor. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. You see, when you read the book of Revelation in light of who Jesus is, it should mobilize us not to be afraid. It should mobilize us to live for him. It should mobilize us to tell others about him. And when we see who Jesus is in Revelation, that he is absolutely in control and it's about him, it's not about the what, it's not about the when, because we can get bogged down in the what and when, at the end of the day, it's all about the who. Who is Jesus? He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the precious Lamb of God. He is the righteous judge. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the bridegroom who is coming back, who is coming back, who is preparing a place, a mansion for you and for me. And it's almost done. Because when it's done, the trumpet calls. God, we ask you to help us today. Help us in all these things that we've talked about the last few weeks. Help us to live in anticipation of your return. Help us to live for you. God, help us to tell others about you. God, maybe there's someone here today. You're dry. They've never experienced Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. God, it's not too late. I pray that today they will make that decision. They will talk to someone about the need for the, for the living water. And they will talk to someone today about it so that they can leave here today for sure, knowing where they're going. We can know for sure. And God, if there's someone here that got questions about where they're going, they're not sure, God, I pray that today they will settle it once and for all, that they can know, that they can know, that they can know where they're going, that they can have an eternal relationship with you. And so, God, we ask you to bless us the next few minutes as we sing and get ready for baptism. In Jesus' name, amen.